Welcome in to Please Bear With Me. I am your host, Travis Corley. Very excited to be bringing you guys another episode. And also very excited that we have matched our win total from last year. And yeah, the haters can say it was against subpar competition. Yeah, absolutely it was. But you're not taking this away from me. You're not taking this high away from me right now. I am just so excited to see two wins in that win column after last year. And now we got a great opportunity moving into Kansas to get win number three. But before we talk about Kansas, we're going to recap that Texas Southern game. We're going to bring Andrew Miner on and talk a little Gary Bohannon and a little Kansas as well. So here we go. Please bear with me. Thank you again for bearing with me this week. And where we're starting, a lot of people like to do a little overreaction Monday. And so in the spirit of that, I'm going to do a little bit of an overreaction Monday myself. And it's this, is that we should all feel really, really good about Baylor's chances in the Big 12. Let's look around the rest of this Big 12 through two games. And now, I, I say it is an overreaction, mainly because we've only seen two games, and so these teams can improve a lot, okay? But in the spirit of overreaction Monday, th th this is what we're talking about. And so to me, I have not been impressed with all of the other teams in the Big 12 through two games. OU struggled against Tulane. Iowa State, they struggled against I. They only won 16-10 to 10, and then struggled against Iowa and lost. West Virginia lost to Maryland week one. Oklahoma State only has single-digit wins over Missouri State and Tulsa. Almost lost both those games. TCU, they looked okay. Offense has just really looked the same. Texas got destroyed by Arkansas. Heck yes. And now, look, they're going to have a QB battle now. Tech, they almost lost to SFA. Kansas State, I was high on to begin the year, but now Skylar Thompson just injured his knee again, which I hate for him. And there's no telling when he's going to be back. So look, Kansas State isn't going to be the same. And then Kansas, you know, Kansas is Kansas. And looking even deeper to why I am feeling so confident in, ba in Baylor's chances at the end of this year is looking at the quarterback play. And I, I really, really do feel good about what we have in GB, in Gary Bohannon. So let's look at these other Big 12 quarterback. I won't look at all of them, but I do kind of want to rattle them off here, starting with, pun intended, Spindler, Spencer Rattler. I mean, outside of this guy, I feel really good about our quarterback play. Rattler, obviously, is the best quarterback in, in the Big 12. So outside of him, I really, really, <laughs> I really, really like our quarterback situation. You know, you look at Daigie at West Virginia, he looks the same. Sanders from Oklahoma State, he looks the same. Duggan has not improved his passing, looks the same. Just talked about how Thompson is injured with Kansas State. Texas now in a QB battle. Even Brock Purdy looks the same. Okay, like at this point, I feel like I know who all of these quarterbacks are. And they haven't showed me anything more than what I already know them to be. Where is the improvement? Where, and look, they still have time, obviously. It's only two games, guys, okay? But you would expect that after a season riddled with COVID, and then you come in, you actually get to have a spring ball and, and a summer, and then a fall camp, you get to have all of those things. You would expect these teams that are returning 70, 80, 90% production to be able to pick up where they left off or even improve. And I just haven't seen it. And so that's why I really like our chances after these first two games. I have seen solid improvement from us over last year. I mean, <laughs> a ridiculous improvement over last year offensively to this year. 
and then a strong improvement just from games one to game two. So honestly, I am loving what we have at quarterback. All of these other quarterbacks pretty much look the same. So I, I am loving what I, I'm seeing out of Bohannon over these first two games. And look, is he, is he at the same level as some of these other guys? No, not right now. I'm not going to go that far because these other guys have proven that they can win games, okay? But at the end of the season, I think that changes. I, I really do think that changes. And we're talking about how Bohannon is one of the better quarterbacks in the Big 12. You know, most of these other guys, they've had three, four years to improve, but they just look the same. And Bohannon has a lot of room for improvement, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, but the difference here is, guys, he's played two games. He's played two games versus these other guys who have played two or even three full seasons. So, man, overreaction Monday, you know, take it with a grain of salt, whatever you want to call it. But right here today, I am feeling very good about where we're going to finish in the Big 12. Let's jump into this Texas Southern game here, and I will give you my thoughts on that. And first, I want to start with the offense. Um, I wanted to see a much better deep ball, deep ball from Gary Bohannon, so that's just where we're going to start. And guys, it was much better this week. I don't think that's a surprise or a shock to any of us. Um, his deep ball accuracy was much better. And that throw that he made to Thornton, that long touchdown throw, uh, he made it look easy. Like that was about a 60 yard throw and man, the ball just looked like it came out of his hands effortlessly. So that was just really fun to see. He's still going to need reps to lock in that rapport with Thornton. But man, if, if, if Bohannon and Thornton can, can sync up, they're going to be a dangerous combo. And the other thing I'm seeing from Bohannon, uh, I'm seeing him go through his reads quicker and he is a lot more decisive. Um, letting it go on his first read or just tucking and running. I know a lot of people um, didn't think he read defenses very well um, and maybe not didn't read them well, but he was only making one read. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. But I have to say, I think that part of this offense is like, hey, you're going to have one read because it's a play action and it's it's a long, longer developing play. So I think that may play into it a little bit. Uh, if you disagree with me, please tell me. Please tell me. But I, I do think that he is going through his reads a little bit quicker and he's being uh, more decisive and he's running. Um, he's making the decision to run quicker. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. And that, that fourth touchdown drive, um, the fourth drive, the touchdown run that he made uh, he, I, I felt like he made multiple reads. He tucked it, and, and then he ran in for the touchdown. That's what I want to see from Gary. Overall, he played really, really good. 17 to 23 for 247 yards, five touchdowns, three of those passing, two rushes. And look, he, he threw 24 passes against Texas State, only throws 23 passes against Texas Southern. This is the number we need to expect to see. We are a running team. He also had five rushes for 27 yards. I think that's a good average because I don't want Gary to depend on his legs. I want him to rely on that arm and as a last result, as a last resort, uh, taking off and running. And Aranda in his presser to say he, that the more he learns about Gary, the more that he loves him. He said he's playing with a lot of confidence and he's fortunate that he's on our side and as far as his preparation goes, Aranda says, you know, it's how a pro would do it. Now that offensive line group, man, I can't, oh gosh, our offensive line improvement has exceeded, far exceeded any of the expectations that I had coming into the year. These guys were graded at a 99.9. My goodness by pff pff rated them 99.9 .9. and that's the second week in a row that we have been graded as the number one offensive line by pff and this week it was jacob gall that earned a spot on that pff team of the week as the highest rated center so man if if 
that right there doesn't get you excited, I'm not sure what's going to get you excited about the offensive line group. And I don't care who the opponent is. To have a 99.9 grade, to not miss a block, is essentially is what that's saying. Ridiculous. Ridiculously awesome. Eric Mateos, take a bow, sir. Take a bow. And I am still, still on my favorite offensive line group. They have, they're not starting the game yet with this offensive line group I like. We've still got Xavier Newman-Johnson at left guard and then Byers starting at right tackle. But I said it last week. I'll say it again. The third and fourth drives of this game, we had Mazuka in at left guard and Keith at right tackle, and I loved it. I thought it was our two best drives of the game. I mean, I just, I love seeing those guys in there. I just feel confident with those guys in there. You know, it's, I, I do look at stats some, but I don't like the stats to tell, to tell the full story. You guys know that. And just when I see that, those five guys up there with Maz at left guard and Keith at right tackle, I just get the most confidence. I, I can't explain it. It's just a gut feeling. So. I'm really excited about the way our offensive line is moving, and I wanted us to have the momentum as a team, uh, most specifically momentum as an offensive line group heading into Big 12 play, and man, we've got the confidence, we've got the momentum. I mean, I'm not sure we could have more confidence or momentum. Like, the offensive line is playing excellent, so we need to continue growing, find those best five starters. Aranda mentioned in his press conference today, he wants to find the five solid guys instead of trying to rotate in like seven or eight like we are now. But he wants to find the five solid. He did mention, though, that we will probably see some more rotations in at right tackle, if anything. And now piggybacking off, at, off that offensive line, our running backs wouldn't have been able to do it with them. But man, our running backs are fantastic. And I need to start and admit that through two games, I've been very, very wrong about someone in our running back group. I came onto this podcast and I said, hey, Tristan Eber, like, I don't think we should be straight handing the ball off to him. I think, you know, maybe five carries, less than 10 touches, some catches in there. But man, have I been impressed with Ebner and how I was so wrong. He needs to be back there and we need to be giving him 10 to 15 carries a game, just like Abram Smith and, and letting those guys just come in and out and punish, punish defenses. And so Ebner is just, he's really impressed me this year with his style of running in this offense. He is more decisive than I've ever seen him. I'm so excited to see Ebner come in and look this good. I'm going to go ahead and just blame it on the blinders I had from last year's offense because, man, Tristan Ebner is, is, is one dynamic dude. And so he, he goes over 100 yards. He end up, ends up with 125 yards. Abram Smith also goes over 100 yards. So that's two games in a row now that we've had two running backs eclipse the 100-yard mark. And it doesn't end there. Tay McWilliams. I love Tay McWilliams. Really high on Tay McWilliams. Got second half action. He went over 100 yards on six carries. Six carries. So man, that offensive line dominated. Our running backs dominated. We had three guys over 100 yards rushing. That's five rushers in two games who have had over 100 yards rushing. When was the last time that happened? Probably never. And then to touch on that wide receiver group, man, Sneed, amazing, amazing catch. Once again, we shouldn't shouldn't be surprised anymore by the catches that this guy is making. And then Tyquan Thornton, it was just really good to see Thornton go for over 100 yards. He averaged over 20 yards per catch. And man, it's just a really nice to see Thornton out there, to see him healthy, to see him getting looks in the offense. And we just got to continue to find a way to get Thornton the ball. And as long as our offensive line and our running backs are continuing to dominate, which hopefully they will, I mean, that's just going to open up things for Thornton even more. And now the defensive performance was also fantastic. And I will admit, though, I've kind of expected our defense to 
play or look just better. I, I I don't know. Like they haven't played bad. No, not at all. They played really good actually. But like I've been so high on this defense that I just think there's a whole nother level that we can get to that we haven't gotten to yet. And man, I'm excited for us to hit that next level because if we can get this offense clicking and then that defense shows its full potential, man, it's going to be dangerous. And so uh, Apu Aika at defensive tackle, he was out. It was a violation of team rules. We're not sure what the specifics are of that. That's all that Aranda said, violation of team rules. He does expect him to be back next week. So I, I'm excited to see Aika come in against Kansas, a Big 12 matchup, and be ready Be ready to be that force in the middle. Um, we had JT Woods with a scoop and score, a 97-yard fumble return for a touchdown, which was the longest in school history. And Woods has now scored in back-to-back games. And then our quarterback pressure was a little bit better. We're getting there. We're getting there. I think it can still be a lot better. Only two sacks, 10 tackles for loss. Um, it was, you know, was better than it was against Texas State, but just it's just not where it can be. It, it, it's just honestly not. And so, you know, first half defense was quite amazing. Held to zero points and 65 total yards um, by my count. And I want to talk about Matt Jones starting at Jack linebacker. And boy, was I impressed with Matt Jones. Felt like he was flying around everywhere, getting in the backfield, tackles for loss, you know, you name it. He was getting back there quickly. He was being decisive and just being a playmaker back there. One sack, two tackles for loss, and had a pass defended. Um, keep an eye out on that Jack position because, man, Jones may have just won that starting job. Aranda said in his presser that Jones flat out, he's a playmaker. And there was a stretch where he affected three or four drives in a row. He can play inside or outside. So keep an eye on Matt Jones. I think he's going to end up starting at Jack. And then technically, guys, we did, we did take three, okay? We had the JT Woods fumble recovery, which by the way, I didn't mention JT Woods, Big 12 co-player of the week. Um, we stopped them twice on fourth down. Okay. So if you, if you are a person that counts turnover on downs as a turnover, then yeah, we, we got three turnovers that that's our goal. Every game, three turnovers and we got some notable team stats though. Five of nine on third down three of three on fourth down. And we are going to be very aggressive on fourth downs guys. So do not be shocked to see us, you know, throw a running play and there from anything from like third and three to even third and seven. If you even go look back at our first two games, we've we've run the ball on, on like a third and five and a third and six. So we're going to be aggressive on fourth downs for sure. Uh, 714 total yards. Like when was the last time we had over 700 total yards? I, I feel like it's been a while. 295 passing, 419 rushing, 9.7 yards per rush. That is awesome. Then only three penalties. This week, that was a huge improvement from last week. I think we had like 11 from 99 and also no turnovers from us. So yay. All right, we all know what that sound means. That's right. It is time for the oh so good player of the game. And this week, the offense absolutely balled out. I mean, when was the last time that we scored over 60 and had over 700 total yards? It's been a while. And when was the last time we had two guys, not to mention three this week, rush for over 100 yards in back-to-back -back weeks? Been a while. GB and Abram Smith, they played extremely well, but this week the oh-so-good player of the game is Tristan Ebner. 10 rushes, 125 yards, average 12 and a half yards per carry. His long was 58, and don't forget he had that long touchdown rush called back in the first half due to a penalty. Also had four catches for 70 yards and a touchdown, averaged 17 and a half yards per catch. Man, his long was 41 and he was our second leading receiver. Ebner, he made it happen on the ground. 
in the air and on special teams. And also just from a bird's eye view, thought he had the biggest impact on the game. I was dead wrong about not handing the ball off to this man, but we need to. He could really, really take off once Big 12 play starts. And now welcome Andrew Miner of wearegoingtowin.com. So with that, let's welcome in Andrew Miner back to please bear with me. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, Travis. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We are happy to have you. And where I want to start here is with Gary Bohannon. And you wrote a very, very good article. I really enjoyed it. Learned a lot of new stuff about Gary that I didn't wouldn't know otherwise without you. So I appreciate that. Um, and now, Gary, uh, four-star recruit. He spent three years on the bench now. He's gone through two head coaches. He's gone through three new offensive coordinators. He struggled with injuries, you know, countless adversity. I was, I really thought that he would end up transferring after last year, which he did not. Um, why did he stick around? I think it just came down to, um, A, he had a belief in himself that he could battle it out in spring and fall camps and be named the starter for the Baylor Bears. And he really, uh, loves Baylor by, by every, by every account. So, um, I think those two things combined allowed him to bet on himself. And now he's really, uh, through the first two games anyway, uh, showing it on, on the field as to why. Yeah, absolutely. I think those things you talk about going through, uh, you know, his, uh, I didn't realize his senior year, they ended up forfeiting pretty much all their games, um, and didn't yeah. even get, get to go to state. Right. Is that right? Yeah, they were. They um, won the, the quarterfinal round and um, like December, early December 2017, and was you know were in the semis. And then they recorded an ineligible player that uh, I believe was just too old or had played too many seasons of high school football. Yeah. And um, they basically forfeited the season, and the team that they beat in the quarterfinals advanced to the state semifinals. I'm not sure if Earl would have been the favorite to win had they been able to play, but. Uh, with Gary at the helm there, I, I know that was a, a goal for that team. Yeah, a lot, lots of confidence with, with Gary, especially in high school, I would think. And now we, as fans, we really haven't had an opportunity to hear Gary speak much. Um, and in your article, you, you have some good quotes from Charlie Brewer there. Um, and he mentions his, his leadership ability. Is, is Gary kind of underrated as a leader? Is that kind of something that's flown under, under the radar with Bo Hannon? Yeah, I think so. I think it goes back to what a lot of people that I spoke with talked about, uh, um, about Gary, that something that Gary had was just, a, you know, a great personality and a good kid, a hard worker. Um, and all those things helped, you know, build a foundation to be a strong leader and, and to be a strong influence of your, you know, with your teammates and, and even your coaches at, at times. I think, you know, in, in some of the interview clips that, that we've seen on uh, you know, on Twitter and, and just online is that uh, Gary has a great smile and, and he seems pretty, pretty uh, infectious. And when I spoke to, to Charlie Brewer, who's now the, the Utah Utes starting quarterback is that uh, like he said, that's, that's very much the case that even in the quarterback room, they were, um, you know, I'm sure there's friendly battles and, and quarterback competitions, but mm -hmm. he was just a great all around great guy, dedicated, dedicated worker. Yeah. And is that is that something that we're now that he is starting now that we are going to hear f f more from him? Is that, you know, is that something we're just going to learn throughout this year and enjoy learning about Gary? Yeah, I think it's hard to to put a, a finger to the pulse of his leadership capabilities mm -hmm. as far as on the field goes, because we just yeah. haven't really seen uh, it. We don't really have that sample size. But um, I think in the games that he's played, he makes quick decisions. All the off the field stuff is there. So I think we'll see him grow and the team grow uh, under him. And uh, I, I would guess that that we would see it in, in some critical moments here. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think so too. And, you know, when I was thinking about the quarterback battle coming into this season, um, you know, I think there was no question we had talent in the quarterback room, but I think the one place I, th I thought we were kind of lacking was, was leadership-wise. I didn't know what kind of leaders that we had in that quarterback room. So that's very positive to me to Absolutely. hear that Gary is just an infectious personality and, uh, you know, I remember Coach Aranda saying that Gary's beating him into the office at 6 a.m. And, and they're, you know, wait, good morning, waving at each other. So uh, so that's that's good to hear. 
that was my favorite part of, of doing that story was that coach Arando is like, you know, he asked the media at one point, you know, is Gary just sleeping here at the, at the facilities? And, um, and then, you know, I think it was Darby Brown who, who followed up with Gary and, and asked him, you know, Hey, coach said you're, you're being, you're beating him there and you're there at six every day. And, and he's kind of just like big, big smile on his face and, and he's laughing in his answer. And he's just yeah. going, Oh, I thought that was kind of just between him and I type, type thing. Uh, I didn't know that was going to, you know, kind of be public, but, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm here and I'm just trying to, to work really hard. And, uh, you know, he kind of complimented his, his mom and, uh, and how hard she worked, you know, and, and the influence that she was on, on him growing up. And, and he was just like, I, I have to try to, you know, work as hard or outwork my mom. So. Yeah, I, I loved that quote when he talked about his mom and he was talking like, dude, if my mom can do it, then you you better believe I should be able to do right. it. So I, I loved that. And I think that's another thing that I can talk about his leadership right there is just that that quote right there. Um, yeah. So certainly, certainly excited that Gary stuck around. Um, I'm excited to hear more from him this year and really just get to know Gary um, off the field. Honestly, he just seems like that smile that you mentioned it just seems like an infectious smile, man. So I'm excited to hear more from him. Um, and now transitioning now we've played two games, um, albeit uh, against below average competition, you know, whatever you want to call it, but now through two games, um, how has your view of this team changed from before the season to now just two games in? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm quite a bit more confident in just our abilities and capabilities than I was maybe coming in, um, like you mentioned, F FCS, Texas Southern, who we just played, beat 66 to 7, um, really played, by all accounts, a, a perfect game, just about as perfect as you can play, which is good. Uh, it was against FCS school. Um, at Texas State, I thought we played really, really well. I mean, it was only a 29 to, not, uh, 29 to 20 game uh, victory there, but I thought we really played well on the road. I thought we didn't play um, to the, you know, the, the best that you know mm -hmm. the standard that maybe the coaches want um but week one and and moving forward i thought it was a, a tremendous display and i the biggest thing to me was i thought that going from texas state to texas southern uh, baylor seemed to to fix all of their um their mistakes their their flaws mm -hmm. any areas that you could say guys what are we doing um were fixed uh, in the texas southern game so uh, can they continue to do that and continue to play disciplined football, turnover-free football uh, as we start Big 12 play this, this upcoming week? Uh, that, that'll be the question. But I, I think the first two games as a Baylor fan should give you tremendous confidence that the Bears can certainly do that. For sure. I, I definitely have a lot of confidence just from where I started the year just to now, um, for sure. And now you mentioned we, we improved there on, you know, we didn't turn the ball, a ball over in the next week. Um, our offensive line played better. Um, we were missing Apu Aika, um, which was a, a little bit of a sore miss. I wanted to see him dominate there against Texas Southern. Um, but now after watching the two games, where is where do we still need to improve the most, would you say? Is it still that offensive line? Gosh, the offensive line has done so well. They've graded yeah, as the top man. college offensive uh, line by – uh, PFF, it pro, pro, yeah, PFF, yeah, yeah. Uh, pro football fo focus, and yep. they, they scored a 99.9 .9 against Texas Southern. I think they were in the 94s or 95s against Texas State. Crazy, crazy, um, which is just mind blowing, <laughs> mind blowing. That means you're doing everything right. You're hitting right? every block, which I think is really hard to do. I think back to the uh, the Matt Rule quote when he came in and he, and he compared the offensive line to the I-35 construction. And just, you know, trying to get better and, you know, we, we see the, the progress, albeit not all the same guys, but um, they're, they're now doing really well. The, the biggest area of improvement is, is probably, you know, I don't even, to me, again, I don't see too, I think I've already seen all the improvement I wanted to see going from Texas State to Texas Southern. Um, I want to see them sustain that. Yeah. And specifically for me, I would just say, I, I want to make sure that we continue to dominate the, the ground game, the running game and uh, not turn the football football over. Um, yeah. I, I think that was one, one of the things that helped, you know, the Bobcats uh, stay in the game uh, that, that first week. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more there. I think there's much to improve on, but that, that, 
change from week one to week two, I think we shored up a bunch of stuff that we were just missing in, in that Texas State game. And now just looking around the rest of the Big 12, I just, I mean, I haven't been really super impressed with, with any other teams around the Big 12, and I'm kind of feeling good about where we're going to kind of land at the end of this year. Are you feeling better about our our where we're going to land in the Big 12 too? Everybody should feel very, very pleased with where Baylor may fall in the landscape of the Big 12. So I think you are 100% accurate in your feeling of, hey, I feel a lot better. There are a lot of a lot of different games over the weekend that were kind of like, what, what, what's going on mm -hmm. here? Wasn't quite what we saw in week one. Um, you know, Oklahoma beat up on, uh, you know, on an FCS school themselves and 176 to nothing. But other than that, every other team looks uh, beatable, looks susceptible, mm -hmm. looks like they have vulnerabilities. Sure. Um, and Baylor certainly looked like they had their own uh, vulnerabilities against Texas State. But Texas State was pretty good, you know, um, pretty good in playing close games uh, in 2020, if you think about SMU and then taking a UTS mm -hmm. double overtime. So I, I, yeah. you know, I, I think I tweeted out something like, don't overlook this game because weird things will happen. Sure enough, we saw a bunch of weird things with the camera angles, but going back to the big 12, where does Baylor fall? I still, I, I still don't know. I don't, you know, it, it's kind of a, you know, can, can Baylor stay hot and stay as uh, prolific as they have been? I mean, I think they're averaging over 550 yards of total offense uh, through, through two games this, this year. Uh, but, but Texas got killed by Arkansas after they looked really good against uh, mm -hmm. a good Louisiana team, but they got killed by Arkansas. Um, Kansas state struggled with Southern Miss um, you know, Stephen F. Austin was a play away from, they were right from, there. Texas Tech, they lost by six and they had the ball in the red zone um, where they failed a fourth down. Uh, I'm trying to think. So, you know, Iowa State lost to Iowa, which I was not surprised. I had that prediction myself, but they struggled against Northern Iowa. They lost yeah. uh, the Hawkeyes yeah. and devastatingly turned the ball over four times. I thought they would play better at least. Yeah. Against it, Iowa, you know. so. Yeah. And I think, I think Iowa State will improve as well because that's kind of a, a misnomer, right? You, you, know, you just have a bad day where you turn the ball over four times, one's, one's returned for a score. They probably won't do that every game. But, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it kind of shapes up like 2019. You get a lot of the big, big dogs at home, Iowa State, Texas, Oklahoma. You have BYU at home, which, which they look impressive, but they certainly look uh, beatable as well compared to how, how we play. But um, I think this is right where Baylor kind of expected them to themselves to be uh, an opportunity with a win against Kansas this week to go three and oh, and, and to be in a, a good position to, you know, maybe make some noise in the big 12. I, I certainly think, you know, now uh, just looking at the performance across the league that, especially with Baylor, that they could certainly, you know, make some noise and, and be a dark horse at this point to, to make a big 12 championship run. Uh, I don't, I don't see that as outside of the realm possibility at, at this point going into the season. Would I, would I have said that? Not so much. I still yeah, think me either. Seven, seven, eight win team for sure going in. Uh, but, but now, yeah, I think it's, it's very, very possible to, to definitely expect those seven, eight wins and, and maybe more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I am definitely feeling more confident, not only in just the way that we are playing, but just looking across the Big 12 and kind of seeing these established offenses struggle a little bit. So it's given me some hope that Baylor here is going to make some noise and finish in that top half of the Big 12. I think it's, it's right there for the taking. And I honestly believe we have the talent to line up against any team and we, we can beat any team. I, I, I truly believe that, especially in the big 12, we can beat any team in front of us. I truly believe that. So, um, yeah, I would, I would agree with, I would agree with you there. Um, wh what do you think we have to do on, on defense as we enter big 12 play? I'm curious to hear your take, um, you know, just defensively, how do we make sure that, you know, we get off the field, we don't do uh, stupid penalties. We contain the edge, you know, yep. no explosive plays, et cetera. What, 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 what do we have to do? Because I think there could be improvement there as, as well that they're, they're working on. For sure. I think we struggled a little bit in containment with Texas State, which was a little bit of a letdown. And we also struggled with pass rush against Texas State. It was a little bit better against Texas Southern, um, I think, just because of the talent disparity, mm -hmm. disparage. But um, as far as the defense goes, I really want to see Apu Aika come in there and just be a force and just be an absolute 
force. That is something that we've been missing sorely in this defense ever since Bravey and Roy left. And yeah. if Apu Aika can come in there and just be a game wrecker, he doesn't have to get tackles. He doesn't have to get tackles for, he doesn't have to get sacks. Like I'm not looking for him to fill up the stat line. I'm just looking for him to shove the middle and make that running back hesitate a little bit. And then from our linebackers, a little bit better containment. And I think that we'll get a good, good challenge this weekend because Jason Bean, the Kansas quarterback is, is probably the fa- he's the fastest quarterback in the big 12. He uh, was a hundred uh, meter, hundred meter, right? Yeah. hundred meter uh, event runner guy. I can't even get my word straight uh, in track. So like he is super dynamic. And so if we can create some pass rush and Apu can be that force in the middle and then our linebackers can contain, I, I, we're, we're going to be just fine. And that's, that's where I look to see our biggest improvement coming into Kansas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because they definitely have a really talented quarterback dual threat. Um, and in years past, really, they only had uh, the Jayhawks really only had that, that running, you know, uh, Puka Williams, the, the running back um, mm-hmm. that you could key and focus in on, maybe stack right. the box, et cetera, uh, contain him and, and you're good to go. It's a little bit different when you're trying to do that with a dual threat quarterback. So I agree with you. Uh, just looking at his stats, Bean had, you know, over, you know, uh, like 100, 180 yards passing, but but he had over 100 yards rushing as well, yeah. two touchdowns there on the road against a ranked Coastal Carolina team who I, um, I really, really like uh, over over 2020 and, and this year as well, really like Coastal Carolina. Um, but I, I think ultimately Coastal Carolina had too much firepower for the Jayhawks. Yeah. I think I think that'll be proved to be the case um, for, for Baylor as well. So it's, it's really going to be as with the first two games, I would, I would suggest that it's really going to be about the optics. How do we look? Yeah. Are we not dumb penalties? Are we not muffing punts? We did muff the punt in, in the Texas Southern game uh, that we were able to pounce on, but um, it's going to be about the optics. Are we going to play well within ourselves and be able to, um, you know, just really just control the game. Uh, the score doesn't even have to be a, a blowout, but if we can control the game and feel very solid, um, you know, with like a, a 32 to, 10 win or something like that, 35 to 10. Um, you know, I think, I think you got to be really confident again, as we've discussed with how Baylor is um, going into the rest of the big 12 game, coming back to host Iowa state and, and beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you know, another point I want to make before, before I let you go here is sure. you talked about the score, you know, not really, or, or, or the optics of us playing well. And I, and I agree with you. I think the score can sometimes change people's views Um, of how we played and this you know the way that our offense is built around the rushing attack this could be a similar to 2019 where we're not blowing anybody out but we're winning but we're winning we're just winning you know how however it is so this may end up being a lot like 2019 where we're just grounding and pounding and we're not scoring a lot but you know what we're winning so the, the Texas Southern game reminded me a lot of that, that second game against UTSA in 2019. And, and then you just go from, you just go from there. Obviously you're going to face mm-hmm. better teams. You're going to be in some nail breath biters, right? Triple OT against TCU, last second field goal against uh, Iowa state. And, um, but that defense really, really led the way double overtime victory against Texas tech. Uh, but I, similar to you, I felt, I feel more so that this could be a, a very similar, a very eerie, parallel to, to the 2019 season it really it's definitely could. there whether, whether there. they capitalize on it or not whether the ball bounces Baylor's way it's definitely there for the taking for sure for sure for sure schedule lines up like you said earlier and we get we're getting Iowa State early if we can beat Kansas here which I expect us to do go in three and zero, and if we can steal this game from Iowa State things start to get very real for the Baylor Bears I think yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'm always on this podcast uh, during Kansas week, uh, just kind of how the just how it works out. Yes, but uh, uh, but I really appreciate being on, Travis. It's always great to to talk football with you, and um, we didn't even get to Big Twelve expansion, everything like that. No, but sure not at all. Expansion um, as, as well. Yeah, I haven't even we haven't even talked expansion on this podcast yet. I haven't even talked about it, so. Um, we, we might have to have you back on and, and get your two cents on that too. But, uh, Andrew Miner, no we, we appreciate you being here, man. And anytime you want to come on, please bear with me. We will definitely bear with you. 
Travis, you're doing a great job. Keep it up, man. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for having me. And now we turn the page on what was last week to what is this week. And what is this week? It is the Kansas Jayhawks. Last year, 0-9 overall. The best game they played was a loss to Texas Tech, 16-13, their last game of the season. They bring over new head coach Lance Leipold from Buffalo, who also brings over his offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelnicki. Buffalo last year, 6-1, a top 25 team, averaged over 42 points per game and lost in the MAC championship game. They lost about 20 players to the transfer portal. Yes, 20 players. Most were seniors that were using that extra year of eligibility, granted from the COVID situation, so it is not hard to see why there is turmoil there in Lawrence. But that being said, bringing in Lance Leipold, I really think He's going to do some positive things there at Kansas. Looking at their offense, they were last in the Big 12 in total offense last year, and Leipold is bringing over an outside zone offense. It looks a lot like what we do with Coach Grimes. And Aranda mentioned prior to this season that he sees the Big 12 moving to a wide zone offensive scheme, and boom, just like that, the following year, we've got two offenses running it. And Kansas offense, it was the worst worst offense possibly in, in the nation. It was worse than ours, which is saying a lot. They averaged about 260 yards a game and only 16 points per game. At quarterback, they will have Jason Bean, number 17, a transfer from North Texas. Started seven games last year, 1,131 yards in the air, 14 TDs and five interceptions. Rushed 56 times for 346 yards and five touchdowns. This year, just under 60% completion and two touchdowns, no interceptions. He has been sacked six times and he is also their leading rusher. Okay. And this is the best part about his game. He He's also their leading rusher with 156 yards and two touchdowns. This is the biggest, biggest part of his game. I like to think he is a run-first quarterback. If his first option is not there and it is not obvious, he is likely going to tuck it and run it. And he is a former 100-yard dash guy. Um, man, this guy is so dynamic with his legs. He's going to be the fastest quarterback we play all year. Yes, he's faster than Gary Bohannon. Just very, very fast. Going to have to contain Bean at the quarterback position. At running back, they lost Puka Williams to the NFL, but they will have a tandem of Velton Gardner, number zero. At 325 yards last year and two touchdowns, was their leading rusher. And Devin Neal, number four, a true freshman, was the number one rated recruit in the state of Kansas. 12 carries on the year, but he is... I like what I've seen out of Neal these first two games, to be quite honest with you. He's a little bit bigger than Gardner, two inches taller and 15 pounds heavier at 5'11", 210. And I think Neal is going to end up being the better of the two when it's all said and done. At wide receiver, they lost Andrew Parment. Excuse me, they lost Andrew Parchment. At wide receiver, they lost Andrew Parchment, their third leading receiver, and then Ezra Naylor to the transfer portal. They are returning Kwame Lassiter, number eight, last year, 43 catches, about 460 yards, and two touchdowns. Again, is leading them in receiving this year. I want to mention Trevor Wilson, number seven, a transfer from Buffalo, comes over with Coach Leipold. 16 catches, 319 yards, and three TDs uh, for Buffalo. He is their second leading receiver this year. We're also going to see Luke Grimm, number 11, their second leading receiver. Last year, 
And then Lawrence Arnold, number two. He struggled with injuries last year, only six receptions, but he's 6'3 and 185. So he's got some uh he's got some good size to him. He could emerge as, as one of their playmakers there. Looking at their offensive line. And when you look at how bad our offensive line was last year, we gave up 31 sacks on nine games. Kansas, they gave up 47 sacks also on nine games. So, hey, at least we didn't have as bad as Kansas. We also averaged 2.7 yards per carry just like Kansas. So on that offensive line, they are returning three starters. Earl Bostic, number 68, is going to be at left tackle. Malik Clark is also returning starter at left guard. And then a transfer from Notre Dame, Colin Grunhard, number 64, is going to start at center. And then a couple of transfers followed from Buffalo. Mike Davitsky, number 50, is going to start at center. And then Michael Ford, number 65, is going to get some time at right tackle. So they bring a few guys over from Buffalo, but still guys, they are not, not too great at the offensive line. Looking at the defense here quickly, last place also in total defense in the big 12 allowed 459 yards and almost 46 points per game. The transfer portal is hurting Kansas very badly on defense. They are going to run, however, this year. They 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 did a 3-3-5 last year. This year they're going to have four D linemen in the game at a time. And speaking of D linemen, three of their returning starters, Malcolm Lee, number 99, Sam Burt, number 93, Caleb Sampson, number 98. And then I want to highlight Kyron Johnson, number 15. I think he's probably their best defensive player. Thought we might see him at linebacker but he is going to play at defensive end. 42 tackles was tied second on the team last year. Three sacks was most on the team. Already mentioned he's probably their best defensive player. So they have some good experience, have a few super seniors there at the defensive line, but I still think they struggled this year, especially with depth. At linebacker, another super senior, Nate Betts, number zero, had 25 tackles last year on six starts. We'll also see Gavin Potter, number 19, at the will, linebacker, fourth leading tackler, ta fourth leading tackler last year with 35. And then Taiwan Berryhill, number six, a new face, played in five games last year. Uh, but good, look, that linebacker gr group, they move. Taiwan Berryhill, number six, played in five games last year. So, you know, they're going to be okay at, at, at linebacker. And then at cornerback, Elijah Jones and Karen Prunty, they're both in the transfer portal. Kyle Mayberry graduated, so the, the tank is empty. Deuce Mayberry, number 22, he did appear in all nine games as a true freshman. And then Romello Dotson, number 13, is a redshirt freshman, only played three games last year, so quite inexperienced at cornerback. And then at safety, Kenny Logan, number one, their top tackler last year with 58 total and 40 solo. Three passes defended, two interceptions, one forced fumble. Their best player in the secondary by far. And then Ricky Thomas, number three, 42 tackles, was second on the team. Four passes defended and a forced fumble. Their safeties are pretty good, but it is not a good sign when your two safeties are your top two tacklers for the year. So that leads me into impact players. And on offense, it is Jason Bean, number 17. Marty mentioned his first read isn't there. He is going to run. If the offensive line has bad protection, he is going to run. Basically, anytime this guy feels uncomfortable, he is taken off. He is their leading rusher this year by over 100 yards. He's got two touchdowns on the ground. I will look for us to play contain, maybe not fly too fast into the backfield and allow him to get outside. We got to play contain this week against Jason Bean. On defense, Kyron Johnson, number 15, defensive end. He could really play linebacker or defensive end. He led the team in sacks last year. He's leading them in sacks this year. He's also got a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. 6'1", 235, pretty athletic from that defensive end position. 
I think he might be able to make a play or two this weekend against our tackles. And then the last impact player I want to hit is Kenny Logan, their leading tackler, their number one at safety. He's leading them in tackles again this year through two games. He's leading them in passes defended with two. You know, he's going to be back there making plays for them in the secondary. And he's also going to be making plays for them on special teams last year in all Big 12 honorable mention at the return position. And now the bare necessities. All right, bare necessities this weekend for the Jayhawks. First, defensively, super important to contain Jason Bean, the Kansas quarterback, this weekend. I've been wanting to see our pass rush get better, and it may look a little bit different this weekend. I'm not sure if we're going to be pinning our ears back as much as we do and getting after that quarterback at least on the outside. I look for us to play contain with our defensive ends, with our outside linebackers, force Bean to stay inside and either pass or let our inside guys get to him. Apu is returning to the lineup for us and this would be a nice game for him to explode. We've got to make Bean throw, force him inside, and we will stop them defensively. On offense, we've got to continue dominating on the offensive line. Yes, dominating. We have taken two steps forward from last year as an offensive line group over these first two games. Offensive line of the week, according to PFF, for two straight weeks, something just unfathomable after last year, albeit against weaker competition, but this pumps me up. We've got great confidence leading into this Kansas game and a great opportunity to continue building that confidence. I want to see continued dominance. I want to see us take another step forward and play even better as a group against Kansas. Continue that dominance. Game prediction. Yes, what is your game prediction? I will tell you right now. Look, there's no question that we are going to win this game, but the one thing that will make us lose this game is ourselves. We've got to take care of the ball, can't have stupid penalties, and also we have got to contain Jason Bean. I think maybe he gets out and is able to have a few dynamic plays just because he is that fast. So that being said, I think they probably do end up scoring a touchdown. So I'm thinking something like 41-13 Baylor. Thank you for bearing with me this week. Thank you to Andrew Miner for joining me this week. Once again, very excited about how this season is starting to unfold, especially looking around the rest of this big 12. If Baylor can keep progressing, keep improving little by little, week by week, this schedule is set up very nicely for us to make some noise. We certainly have the talent to do it. I'm looking forward to opening up Big 12 play this weekend and seeing how much more our team is going to improve. And of course, until next week, Sikkim Bears. The Please Bear With Me podcast was created by Scotty Swingler, is hosted and produced by Travis Corley, in affiliation with 247 Sports and Bears Illustrated.